You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. Here with me time with Stephanie. We have a special guest, Linda Fortenberry. Well, welcome, Linda. I am so excited that you're here. When I called you and I asked you to come in and talk about, there are so many things that you have going on. And I want to use this whole segment that you could, so you could share with our audience about, uh, you even told me something about reparations. I don't know what that's about, but I'm anxious. I'm excited about that. I want to talk about the farmers, um, program that you're working with. I want to talk about home buying. Um, I know you're not working with FEMA anymore, but let me tell you guys something. I've been knowing this lady for a lot of years and she is the most genuine, unselfish, hardworking, super smart, <laughs> intelligent woman that I have ever met. And just for you being here, it humbles me and it makes me smile because I know you have a lot going on. And I, I do want to share something with you. A couple of years ago, we were all hanging out, and there was a whole bunch of ladies, and you were, you were the only one with your husband. We were mesmerized with just your R, your presence, the way you talk with your husband, the way you communicated with us. And when you always talk about women in the community being leaders, you're definitely that. So if nobody's giving you your flowers and your roses right now, um, we are because we still look at you like that. Like you are the flower. You are the epitome of the black woman that we all wish that we could have a little bit of piece of. Okay. Yes. And I just. <laughs> her with you guys and and that's why I wanted you to come here and I just wanted to say thank you for all it's you do and thank you for the invitation so so the first thing I wanted you to share with us I want you to share with us about you sent me this text about home ownership and and, and home buyers I'm just going to give you the floor and I'm not going to even interrupt you I, I just want you to share with me how our audience could learn from this grow um call implement, develop, whatever it is that we need to do, we need to put this message out there. Thank you, Stephanie. You're welcome. So glad you invited me here. And no matter what I was doing, I was going to make time to come. I was so anxious. I was up coming here at 12 o'clock. I'm like, wow. But anyway, um, I stumbled into something. Which I say I stumbled into something because it wasn't what I set out to do. I am the executive director for a program called uh, Circle of Faith, mm -hmm. and it's a community development corporation. It's, it's established in Louisiana. Our goal there is to go into the rural development communities and work with people. And so that's why I see I stumbled into the farming component because um, when, when the pandemic initially came, they didn't have any food down there. I grew up in Louisiana, by the way. Okay. What and part? Sicily Island. Okay. It's not too far from Opelousa, about okay. 80 miles. Okay. And so I, I, w I thought about my hometown. I actually had COVID at that time, and I was ill. But what I decided was, as opposed to allowing the illness to consume me, why don't I begin to do something? And that's when I decided, well, let me create a fundraiser. And we raised over $10,000, and we were able to take food there to my hometown and to feed. But when I was down there, someone spoke to me, and they actually brought us some boxes and said they got it from USDA. And I was like, really? Yeah. So I got back home, and I called USDA. 
about Washington, D.C. And they called me back, and I said, listen, there were people, I told them where I lived, the other town, small towns around it. I said, and these guys had boxes. Why didn't my people get food? I said, this is a poor, impoverished, rural community. I said, and they need food because when the pandemic came, everything shut down. They have no grocery stores there. There's no transportation. So why aren't you guys serving them? They didn't even know about the small town. So she did tell me where I could get the food from, and I ended up taking a whole truck down. And you're talking about a poor oh, people came from miles and miles and miles. I can believe that to get that food because they didn't have anything. There was nothing there. So anyhow, that's what moved me over into the USDA component uh, because I began to attend meetings and to talk to them about what the communities in the rural area needed that they were not getting. They were the forgotten people. I mean, like Stephanie, they were so forgotten. No one knew about these three small towns. But they had the other larger parishes. We had to literally create a link to get the food down there because they had a list of parishes that they served. Our community was not on the list. So I contacted several mayors down wow. here in those small towns. Because they told me, they'll give me a truck. I'll give you an 18-wheeler of food. I said, that's fine. And they said, look on the list and tell us where's your parish. My parish was not on the list. But, that, but it's like my thinking was, if you're going to bring me a truckload of food, I'm going to find a way to get the food to the people. So I talked to the mayor of Franklin Parish, because he had done something in the past. And I asked him, I said, Mr. Nash, I got a problem. I said, do you mind if I have a truckload of food delivered to your community center? I think a little, I took him aback because he's like, a truckload of food? I said, yeah. And I said, as a matter of fact, I'll share it with your community. Because my small town is only about 300 people. The truck comes with 1,400 boxes of good food. So anyway, I, he and I talked about it, and he said, I'll get back with you because I'm certain you have to talk to the, he's the mayor, so you still have to talk to whoever the city people are. And he did get back with me and said, yes. And I asked him how many boxes he wants, so we, we did all of that. Then someone else said, Ms. Fortenberry, I know someone else who could use some of those boxes, another small town, Ravel. And I was like, sure, we'll share with them as well. So once we were able to, then the young lady called me back, the organization who was going to actually deliver me, she called me back, and she said, you're going to have to have a, they call those freezer trucks, reefer truck is what they called it, and I was going to have to have a jack lift, a forklift, something to lift these boxes up, and you must have this food delivered two hours after it gets there. Wow. So we began to research and see what we could do, and nothing was open on Saturdays. But lo and behold, an angel came. There's a fish market down there, and the gentleman there had a truck, and he donated to us for that service. So once the truck got there at 6 a.m. on that Saturday morning, we had to take it from Mangum, Louisiana, to Wisner, Louisiana, and that's about a 20-mile drive, okay? And so I was like, okay, we're going to get this done. We got it done. We got it down there, and we fed people miles and miles and miles. So that's how your journey started. That's, that's how the farm journey started. And as I got farther over in there, I ran into the problem of our black farmers and all that they had endured throughout the years, how they had lost their farms, and he, how right now, even right now, they were fighting the USDA because of discrimination and definitely lack of services to those who are in the, they call them the minority communities or the underserved communities. And I began to research that to find out how much land we've actually lost. Millions of acres of land has been lost since the 1920s. So Can you imagine before that? Yeah. I mean, before that, we were farmers. That's all we knew in the South. That's what my father did. You see what I'm saying? That's what wow. He did. So 
that's what that's what driven me drove me over here to USDA. It wasn't where I started out, but it's just where I need where I was needed there. So I came into this component of it, and as I've been there, what I was fortunate enough to do is to. Um, how did they lose their land? Let's back backtrack. Just a couple of scenarios, maybe two. Well, when you don't pay taxes, you lose your land. When you don't have resources to do the farming, which they were lacking resources, because the USDA, when they turned their application in, if they rejected them, they never went any further. So many of them, when they went to get the grants and the loans and the things that they needed in order to produce their crops, they, they were rejected. turned down. And there was nobody there fighting for them. So our people in particular, when you say no, they don't go any further. Whereas the other people, they had the bank. So when they wanted to apply for the loan, they went right to the banker. He had somebody in there fill the application out for them. They had contacts with the USDA, so process in there. That is how they became, that's how they are, that's how, that's why they were able to be and to continue to be successful because they had what I call the inside connect. The banker, and a lot of times this banker was the lending bank because these guys was all friends. They knew each other. So, so just listening to you, you know, the, you know what I'm thinking about? Queen Sugar. Exactly. Do you know that that plantation, that story is an actually true story. Wow. 5,000 acres they lost, and they've been fighting to get it back. It's a true story. You can look it up. Wow. Yeah. So continue. I'm, I'm just enamored right now. It's just that African Americans have, as you all know, suffered so much in this country. But our farmers have been devastated. We're down to about 4% farmers now. And there was a time when, I mean, everybody in the South, Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, were farmers. That's all they knew. And now that gift, that thing that they had, has been completely taken away from them. And not only have they lost the art of farming, they've lost the land as well. This rich and beautiful land, which our fathers and forefathers, you know, till, tilled and took care of to feed us, because I come from a family of 16. I'm just saying, that's what they knew. That's what they did. And now, what has happened to it? We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Me time with Stephanie. And you know, that's so interesting you say that, because I'm from Louisiana, and my grandfather and all his brothers had acre, hundreds and hundreds of acres of land that I remember going to get watermelon you know they had farmed so many different things and we would sell it like they would yeah. sell it on the side of the road and so forth and and I also remember reading about how they lost their lands also and well, you got uh may I ask you a question yes do they have it now no okay. some of it I do have I have an uncle his children and their grandchildren they still own the land but it's not as much as it was before so I don't know the story behind that. I'd like to share with you another reason why we lost land was due to a, something called uh, estate planning. There was no estate plan, and in, in, there was no estate plan made. So therefore, what African Americans did, all they did was like if somebody died, they just simply picked up and started doing the crops, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't do the wills or trusts. So therefore, they lost this land because I mean, they can't form it because no one knows who owns it. We had a perfect case about three years ago. It was a tornado down in Alabama, and there was this older couple. They were in their 80s, and it had, they had 40 acres, and they, were, they had cows. And I don't know what they were forming, but they were forming something. They lost it during the hurricane, during the tornado. And because they could not prove that they own the, the land, FEMA 
would not give them any assistance. And that's when USDA began this new program now where they're saying, like, we need to help people to reestablish that they own their land. So that's the second reason why people lost it. And that's why I fight so hard. And that's why I talk so much about estate planning because, listen, I don't care if you have a dollar. If you don't tell people who to give it to when you pass away, the state will decide who gets it. Well, well you know, Miss Linda, um, you don't mind me calling Miss. Not at all. <laughs> Let me tell you, I have, growing up in our community, there are certain things that we see that our ancestors saw and our ancestors experienced, but they never talked about it. And I'm, I'm sharing this with you because when I got to college, I started reading. When social media started getting big, I started reading all the things that happened in our town that I grew up in. And my great-grandmother, my grandmother, they never talked about it. And I'm, and it's on national news. Like, they had a big, like, whatever happened in Oklahoma happened in Opelousas. Yes, I saw that. All these people, a ma- big old massacre. But my grandmother was 11, 12, or whatever. My great-grandmother, they were young. So they they were there when it happened, but they never talked about it. They were programmed not to talk about it. So when we were born, we never knew all of these things happened. But one of the things that I know that happened to um, my grandfather them in the 60s, the mm-hmm. 50s and the 60s, because my mother is, was born in the 50s, so it had to happen in the 50s and the 60s. The KKK was really, really um, heavy in a little town called Washington, Louisiana. So everybody, if you were black, you knew that was that town that you couldn't pass through or go around because there was this thing that a black man would get castrated. Like, it was just every everybody knew, but no, nothing was ever done about it. And so when people would come from out of town, if you lived in Texas, California, you would go in that little town, your family member would get, you know, castrated or disappear or whatever. And so later I found out that over 100 acres of land that my ancestors owned was taken by eminent domain and nothing was done with it. They were going to build a highway or something. They didn't do anything with the land. If you could still go to the land, it's still rural land. So they just took the 100 acres and the city owned the 100 acres. So, So when you say that, it just made me think about all of those things. So can you imagine that land? being passed on to me and my children, a hundred, you get where I'm going. And so now I'm really like, I'm really anxious for you to continue because it's like, we are oblivious of these things. And we, and it's like, I know for a fact, I know communities that think that that's not their problem or, Oh, it doesn't concern me. But listening to you now, I see why now you're so active and so involved, but I I want you to continue. What I can appreciate based on what we're doing in farmers and finance, what I can appreciate is that we are coming back. We're coming home, so to speak. We're coming back to farming because there's so many types of farming. It's not the traditional 1,000-acre farm or 500-acre farm. There's something called urban farming and freight farming. These are the new ways that we're going to be farming. And I'm an African-American, especially those between that 30 and 40 age group. They're coming. They understand that they get it. They're moving. Like me fishing to put my um, my garden on my patio. Exactly. Yeah. You, you are a, you are an urban farmer. Okay. And what that means like is that. that the USDA provide grants and funding for that, and that's something that most people did not know because they were under the impression that they had to have, had to have so much acreage. No, 
You can have a patio. It could be in your house, wherever you choose. This is the only key. If you had your patio full of uh, whatever, peppers, tomatoes, things of that nature, and if you grew enough of that, or if you sold it at the farmer's market, let's say, you were able to produce enough to make $1,000, you're considered an urban farmer. Really? So we got so many urban farmers across this country now. It's just amazing. And they're yeah. coming. They're just like, you feel like they're coming home. They're coming back to what we knew. Many of them who left the country, especially Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, even Texas, they're headed home well, to farm. Wow. And you know why? The land. The land. But tell me why. What's happening economically? We're in a recession. <laughs> and the foods are so they had so much stuff in the foods, it, you're doing better growing it. Yeah. Y- you know, it's like, and, and the money involved in it. It's like inflation is so high. What, eggs are what, $8? 13 Thir- What? So, yes, but you know what? When you were sharing with me about my urban garden, all I kept thinking about, okay, I like to. I was thinking about everything that I like. <laughs> I like tomatoes. I like cucumbers. I like this. I like that. And so just think, so you're saying if I had... I could sell this to the grocery stores. You don't have to sell it to anybody. Just having it and knowing that if you sold this, you don't have to prove this. You just say, if I did sell it, I can make $1,000. And you can because, listen, you can grow potatoes, Irish potatoes. You can grow those things in a bucket, and you can grow so much of them. So it's just oh, this I'm urban excited. gardening is really it's exciting. It's really it's like it's new, but it's exciting. And then they come with this, what they call the uh, freight, freight farming. It's like, wow. So, so you don't have to have, so basically you don't have to have any experience. No. So, so now when you talk about the urban farmers and the younger generation, my kids, um, they, they don't do like traditional jobs anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the younger generation, they just, what they say, they after the dollar, whatever. This would be something that they believe in, that they would enjoy doing. Oh, I know for a fact, because my daughter, she would, when I leave here, I'm definitely going to share this with her because she has a beautiful backyard that she's always trying to figure out what to do. She put patios and so I'm going to, she, there's a section in her yard. My mother has it already. My mother has a full garden in her backyard. Like, just like when we were kids, she does okra, tomatoes. So when I come to Houston, that's what I do. I go to her garden. And I get all of my little greens and vegetables, so I don't really have to buy those things. So this is exciting. Please, yes. please, please. I don't, I don't want to stop you. I, I just want no, you to continue. I want you to continue. Um, and so as I'm doing this, what I did last year, we trained. We trained so much. We just we trained every week. I was doing four, five, six trainings. I was working seven days a week all of last year. I was working with the USDA. I was working with the Louisiana Association of Cooperatives and some other organizations that we were working with. And we just put everything out there on the floor. And so we, we, we also uh, applied for three grants. We didn't get either one of them. And we were, like, really pissed. I mean, like, pissed to the max because, like, we applied. Why didn't we get these grants? And we gave them some stellar programs, and that's a whole other story. But at any rate, after I had time to reflect, I realized it's a good thing we did not get those grants. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. Me time with Stephanie. Because this is what you got that you didn't even recognize. What you guys did was phenomenal. But the benefit is this. Because of the network that you built from here to Washington, D.C., 
I can call on anybody I want. Southern University, Alcorn University. And he said, you brought, I brought top-notch PhDs in to train all these members at no cost to them. I was able to, um, because we did that, and we sat back and looked at what we had done, now we can go anywhere we want to go with this training program. And wow. we are. It's like, wow. Because when I called them and said, look, I'd like to set my quarterly calendar. Yes, yes, yes. Everybody's coming in from the tax man to the, um, the guy that grows mushroom. All these guys are doctors, PhDs, and the young lady who grows hemp, the hemp researcher out of Southern University. All these guys are coming in to train these guys. See, that's what our ancestors was missing, the training and the information. But now we can bring it to them at home, you know, in their living room, in their bedroom, wherever they want to meet because we're doing this through Zoom. And so now you have about, what, 8,000 members? 8,300 plus members, yes. And these Active. guys are not just from the 50 continental states. They're, They're from, from Australia. A lot of them are from, from Africa. A lot of our African countries are in this group. I don't know if they, I think they may be looking for financial support, which we can't provide through USDA, but there's a USAID program. They'll provide it for them through their um, state department. There are so many things I wanted to share with you while I had you because I know how busy you are. Um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, but I do – can you, will you be able to come back and, and, and we could talk some more on that? Because I really want the millennials, because I have a lot of millennials that send me messages the, and so and forth. And you know what, Ms. Ms., Ms. Day, They're the ones who get it. They do. You have this thing called off the grid. These young people are moving out, buying acreage like a, a couple of guys. Here, here's, what I always, here's what I teach. If you can't buy it by yourself, but you like to do it, why not buy it with somebody? So there's these four guys, about 400 acres. They're creating a whole village. We got that happening all around us. Well, we need to make sure that we keep getting the message out. And I am definitely going to have you back some more to talk to that. But before you go, there is one thing I really wanted to talk to you about is the home ownership project that you were sharing with me. I know we only have like seven minutes okay. left, but I just want you to touch on the most important things that we need to let people know about, uh, especially the article that, that you sent me with Chase buying up all this land and renting out at all these astronomical fees. So go ahead with that, please. I really think that we need to be more conscious. We're not very conscious. We are kind of, I feel like we walk around as if everything is okay. Truth is, everything is not okay. There are things that are closing right in front of our eyes, and we'll still walk like, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. Economically, it's not okay. Socially, it's not okay. And on a global scale, it is not okay. People are not even paying attention with what's happening globally with Russia and China and how it's going to impact us. Or even nationally with the, with the uh, storm that took place in California. It's going to impact us greatly at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Because where we were able to go and get things, it's not going to be there. Because it, that flood has just wiped out just I'm about everything. I'm seeing it now already. I'm already seeing everything. it. Everything. So, you know, it's like, and so it's like, look, and so my thing too is wake up. Please wake up. Let me tell you something. A part of the wake-up call is the fact that for many of us, we think or thought, what I witnessed last year, just listening, just being there in the group every day, was many of our people had financial issues. And a part of financial issues uh, led them to be unable to qualify for a, to buy a home. So I did reach out to USDA and said, what do you guys have available? Because I'm letting you guys know what's happening over here with my people, and we need to know what you can do for us. So they introduced me to what they call USDA Rural Development, and they are, they were given $300 million 
to provide to those in rural development. That, what that means is that you must live in a community where there are less than 35,000 people. That's all it takes to be a part of a rural development program. And if they are, then what USDA does is they make sure as long as they qualify, there are some qualifiers, income, uh, not so much as credit score because with the USDA, their goal is to work with you to get you into a home. So they're not treating you like your commercial lenders are. 700, no, they're saying 620, 580, we'll work with you, you know, to get you qualified if you're not qualified. What they look at the most is the DTI, the debt to income. Mm-hmm. How much are you bringing in and how much, are you, uh, how much is going back out? Mm-hmm. So we put together what we call a six, it's, it's called a six play plan, where I'm teaching a six course plan of everything they need to get this home. Financial literacy, uh, how to create an LLC that works for you, meaning a lot of people get LLCs, but they don't really even understand what they're for. Oh, it's for taxation, Ms. Fortenberry. Oh, it's for it's to make sure no one can sue me. I said, well, that's a good reason, but those are not the reasons, and that's not how you should use that. So coming this Thursday night, I'll be teaching the LLC and how to actually use it so it works for you uh, as opposed to just having it in name only. Mm-hmm. So anyway, once we get them through this My curriculum. My son needs to be there. I need that information, but go ahead. Once we get them through this curriculum, we're going to take them through every piece of it. And as a part of that, USDA is going to be sending in the trainers and the teachers that they're going to need. Like on the 23rd, USDA is going to send in the state coordinator from Louisiana. He's going to come in and tell them all about the packages, the programs, and how to get qualified and things of that nature. And if that's not enough, to buy homes in the rural areas, mm-hmm. to buy land, to build homes in the rural areas. Yes. It's, like it's, okay. it's, it's just certain qualification is based on your state. Okay. See, whereas Louisiana has a limit. I mean, like a, there's a, a salary limit or income limit for Louisiana. Every state has its own income limit. So Louisiana, when they, said, when they told me what Louisiana was, I was like, really? It was pretty high as far as I'm concerned. It was six figures. But these other states is even higher. Really? So it's like, you know what, you don't have to be in Louisiana or Mississippi or, Louis- uh, or, or Alabama or Georgia to get this. It's all over the country. If you're in New York, you've got rural areas. If you're in Ohio, there's hope, especially Ohio. So there's hope. There's more than hope. Oh, my goodness. This is wonderful. Yeah. This is, I, I didn't know this. I, all I kept hearing was everybody buying up the land um, well, in the city. They, you know, if the, Troy was telling me there's a house for sale in one neighborhood or seven houses or four houses in the next weeks. One company bought them all up. Yes, that is happening a lot. And here's what they're doing. They're buying these homes up, and they are not going to sell them. They are leasing them because the price of rent has skyrocketed. So, therefore, they can make more money with rent than they can with home ownership. So, again, I tell people that's going to affect our all community. is not lost because you can still go through the USDA program. USDA housing has to. They're given the money. That's what the money has been set aside for is to help low-income to moderate-income people purchase a home. And it doesn't have to be a first-time home buyer at all. It's oh. just those who fall within the categories, who meet the income guidelines, and the DTI. That's and it. And what's the rural areas in this, this environment here? You know what? Richmond? I am not sure. The the population has to be 35,000 or less. So we need to do some research on that. Because I don't really um, do, what happens is that I don't do a lot of the rural development work, but I do bring it in so it can be taught. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I I think, Ms. Linda, this, wow. 
Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> this, You're welcome. This has helped me because as you were talking, because I do vocational training and I have a lot of graduates all over the country that's really changing, becoming self-sufficient. The most important piece was the financial literacy. And I found it out by just listening to what people were saying. Each time I presented a program to them, the one thing that crept up was the finances. So I took a deep dive into that, and, and I said, you know what, Linda, if you're going to do this program, you're going to have to do a bottom-up program where you teach financial literacy as the foundation. Because when a person has that, they can get into any of these other programs because financial is a component of it. You know what I'm saying? They're going to ask for the bank statements, the, you know, the tax reports and stuff like that. But more importantly, if you're going to go into business, you're going to have to be mindful of these things. You know what I'm saying? They have to be mindful of the fact that they got to make sure to get their balance sheets correct. They got to make sure the financial so, statements, yeah. income statements. So you're in business. And I told them, I said, you guys are in business. And financial literacy is the key. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that growing up in the environment I grew up in, they never taught me any of that. I just knew the the debits and the credits. You know, this is how much my grandfather made. This is how much um, he, he had to let spend. Me, That's all add, I knew. Let me add a little piece of that also for us as African-Americans in particular. We walk around full of shame for what we don't know and we don't ask. We're ashamed and we're embarrassed. I'm 50 years old. We'll, I'm just giving you an example. I'm 60, by the way. We'll go, you know, I didn't know it, but we're too embarrassed to ask. And so when people are in the room talking, we won't even ask the right questions. So what I did with them the other night, I gave them permission to just talk. Limits. I told them, I said, let me tell you something. I am not judging anybody here tonight. I said, because I walked in those shoes. I just learned how to walk out of them. That's why I can tell you what you're doing and why it's not working. And so you see what I'm saying? So we got to get over being embarrassed about the mistakes that we made financially and own them. And say, now I'd like to know what to do. I said, because walking around, pretending like it didn't happen or acting like somebody's going to let you out of it, that's not the key. You got you to face this thing. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? I love it. I, oh, Miss Linda, you have made my day. I want to thank you for coming by. And I just wanted to, if you don't mind, can you give out your information, how we could reach you, how we could follow you, um, how we could go to your financial literacy classes, just whatever information you could give to the audience, that would be great. The group that I uh, work with is Circle of Faith Community Development Corporation. I'm the executive director over there. And the group that we formed is called Forming and Finances. That's a Facebook group, so you can always follow me over there. And I took over my husband's TikTok page <laughs> and stop him stop him doing all that dancing and start to teaching educational information. So you can follow me on TikTok as well. Okay. So it, it's like I said, if you go into Facebook and look me up, Linda Daniels Fortenberry, and uh, don't send me a friend request, please, because I have what I say, too many friends not working. But go to Farming and Finances. That's the, it's Farming, F-A-R-M-I-N-G, and Finances with an S on it. Okay. You have to answer three questions. And I'll, I'll elect us, one of the administrators or myself will allow you to come into the group. Okay. And once they get in there, they have access to everything. And I have put so much information in there. Wonderful. So. Thank you. Thank it you. It was again, a pleasure. Thank it's you. a pleasure on our end. Thank you.